Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. One of the vital distinctions that Audre Lorde makes in her short address, The Uses of Anger, is that between the emotion of anger in its expression, in its origins, in its objects, and a different emotion which she calls hatred, and which we should understand in a broad sense. Now, what she's saying here is actually something that's not particularly new, but it's being applied in a context that could be novel for many people, and I think quite rightly so in its application. It's something that goes back all the way, for example, to Aristotle and his discussions of these two emotions of anger and hatred. But Lord is bringing to it a not just focus on individual people's emotions, but on social and political and we could say cultural structures as well. So what is she saying? She tells us that anger is not just a response to racism, but a legitimate response to racism. And what we see here is it can be a response not just to racism, but to sexism or to classism or other types of injustice and discrimination, many of which she touches upon within this work where the central focus is indeed racism. And she'll talk about two different dimensions without going into any you know great theoretical depth about the interconnections between these because she assumes that I think the audience is rather familiar with it. So we can talk about people having beliefs, you know, racism itself, she tells us, is the belief in the inherent superiority of one race over all others. And it's expressed in attitudes, in actions, in this very interesting term, presumptions, which I think is great for capturing an entire range of things from assumptions, all the way to decisions that people make. Oh, no, you wouldn't be interested in that because you aren't, you know, from this group or class or something like that. And those can be understood as group oriented, but on the part of individuals. But then there is an entire political and social dimension, as she tells us as well, which includes oppression and exploitation. She uses the word domination as well. And these tend to precede us historically, right? We're born into these structures. Sometimes they change over time and we get new iterations on it. And she uses three terms that I think are very apt here that kind of intersect with each other. She talks about a system, right? Living within a racist system, an exploitative system. Context, that's another good way of thinking about it. And then she talks about individual or institutional, right? So our institutions themselves can be places and spaces where these dynamics play themselves out, even if people are, you know, not harboring racism in their heart or saying racist things. Sometimes the way things are set up can lead to, we could call it racist outcomes. And there's a interplay between the two of these, the individual and society, right? 
And she says that the responses to the legitimate anger that those who experience racism and are affected by it actually feel and then express the responses that many people have to this reflect a distorted perspective. And what is the key to that perspective? Identifying women of color's anger as the fundamental problem rather than seeing the anger itself as a response to what the real problem is that's scarier, that needs to be addressed, that's harder to call out because it's usually something involving those who have power, prestige, wealth, all these things that elevate them above those who are marginalized and vulnerable. And she's talking to her fellow feminists in this case and saying, a lot of you are racists. A lot of you are treating women of color's anger as if it's the real problem when it's not. And you could actually be learning from it. It's uncomfortable, but instead you're talking about your fears, your guilt that you feel. Don't get angry at me because then I feel guilty rather than, oh, you're angry. I better figure out how to deal with my own guilt. Anger that is a counter response to the expression of anger. Who are you to complain about this? You're lucky that we even gave you a seat at the table, uh, accusations of the anger being useless or disruptive. This reflects, Lord is saying here, a fundamentally mistaken, though understandable, but not excusable attitude, perspective, however you want to express it. And she does say, listen, uh, women often have a lack of tools for facing each other's anger constructively, and we need to work on that. And this could be extended not just to women dividing things up in terms of race, but as she points out, in terms of class, in terms of age, we could think about ability, we could think of all sorts of other things as well. And then she's got this very interesting passage where she talks about about women who have been, or really anybody who has been raised to fear and the problem with that, right? So those who have been raised to fear anger. Now, whose anger is she, is she talking about? Well, it could be fear of the anger of those who are powerful. It could be anger of their own that they don't want to admit, feel, express, act upon because then that could lead to problems. Or it could be the anger of women of color who are raising issues of racism and bringing up all sorts of issues as well, right? So this covers a lot of ground. And what is the fear? So she says, for women raised to fear, too often anger threatens annihilation. Annihilation is being reduced to nothing. Could be being killed. It could be being raped. It could be having your livelihood deprived, right? It could be having your children taken away. It could be being ostracized. So women have, in many cases, learned to fear the anger. She says, in the male construct of brute force, we were taught our lives depended on the goodwill of patriarchal power. The anger of others was to be avoided at all costs. Why? Because there was nothing to be learned from it but pain. A judgment we'd been bad girls, come up lacking, not done what we were supposed to do. And 
if we accept our powerlessness, then of course any anger can destroy us. The anger that oneself feels, the anger that others who are marginalized feel, the anger of those who are powerful, even if they're only powerful within certain contexts. And so she says it's understandable that people would have wrong-headed perspectives about anger, but now let's actually produce a proper perspective. And she spends a lot of the space in this address actually doing this. That is clarifying what it is that the real evil, the real threat is. And she's going to use this distinction between anger and hatred to articulate this. So she early on talks about a system. I mentioned this. She says, we're not here as women examining racism in a political and social vacuum. We operate in the teeth of a system for which racism and sexism are primary established and necessary props for profit. And you could say, whoa, she's attacking capitalism. Yeah, that's probably true. She's attacking an unrestricted or crony capitalism or capitalism that uses racism and sexism as structures and devices to extract everything that it can out of people. It could be other systems that are doing that as well, though. The key here is that these forms of discrimination and injustice are, and notice these three qualifiers, primary. So this is something that is there to be seen, established. These have been around for a long time, maybe, you know, since the start and necessaries. If the system is going to go on as it is, it is necessary that people be discriminated against, exploited, dominated, mistreated in not just individual ways, but in systematic ways. And then for profit, for somebody's profit, somebody is getting something out of this. It could be money. It could be a sense of identity and self and importance. You know, so long as somebody can look down on those who are lesser than them, they actually feel like they matter, right? And so she's, uh, she's condemning that. And then she talks about a context of opposition and threat. She says, we're working in this context. And then she says, what's the cause of this? Is the cause of this the anger? And now notice that we have a much broader social dynamic here that's being criticized. When some people are being mistreated and then they protest against that mistreatment, there's always a lot of people coming along and saying, why are you being so angry? Why do you have to engage in this protest now? You're being disruptive. You're not going to accomplish anything. You're making us feel bad. And Audre Lorde is saying, hey, anger didn't cause this. Anger didn't create this. Anger is a response to this. She says, the cause of this context of opposition and threat is not the angers which lie between us when we criticize each other and respond authentically to each other. What is the cause? The cause is, she says, that virulent hatred leveled against all women, people of color, lesbians and gay men, poor people against 
What, what do they all have in common? She's going to specify this against all of us who are seeking to examine the particulars of our lives as we resist our oppressions moving towards coalition and effective action. Now, there's two things going on there. There's a hatred of the other, of the one who is made lesser by the culture, by individual choices, by those who benefit from it, right? Sometimes internalized by those very same people, so long as they can criticize or direct that hatred against somebody lower than themselves, right? And that's what she's accusing white women in the feminist movement of doing. But it becomes especially virulent hatred when those people are like, hey, we've had enough of this crap. We're going to organize. We're going to criticize. We're going to try to change things. We're going to stand up against that. Then the hatred re-intensifies, right? So this context of opposition. And she says a couple things. It's not our anger, which makes me caution you to lock your doors at night and not to wander the streets of Hartford alone. It is the hatred that lurks in those streets. And what is that hatred? The urge to destroy us all if we truly work for change rather than merely indulge in academic rhetoric. And then she says, this hatred and our anger are very different. Hatred, she says, is the fury of those who do not share our goals and its object is what? Death and destruction, destroying, reducing, annihilating, taking other people and turning them into objects and then destroying those objects if they get out of line. She tells us anger is a grief of distortions between peers. Its object is change. But our time is getting shorter. We've been raised to view any difference other than sex as a reason for destruction. And black women and white women have to face each other's anger, right? She goes on a little bit further later on and tells us that this is at the very end. It is not the anger of black women which is dripping over this globe like a diseased liquid. It is not my anger that launches rockets, spends over $60,000 a second on missiles and other agents of war and death, slaughters children in cities, stockpiles nerve gas and chemical bombs, sodomizes our daughters and our earth. It is not the anger of black women which corrodes into blind, dehumanizing power bent upon the annihilation of us all unless we meet it with what we have. And so, you know, she's recognizing there is a genuine hatred flowing out there, embodied in some of our very social structures, which are not just hatred, but which encompass that. And we shouldn't mix that up with the anger that people are legitimately feeling. The last thing that I want to bring up is a really key point that she's making. And it's encompassed in one sentence. If I speak to you in anger, at least I have spoken to you. Being angry with another person does not mean being bent upon their destruction. That is hatred. Being angry with another person involves recognition of the other as a screwed up person, as the one who did the angering thing, who may be you know, exhibiting racist attitudes, but who is still a person, who is still treated as a human being. She says, I have not put a gun to your head and shot you down in the street. I've not looked at your bleeding sister's body and asked, what did she do to deserve it? That is what hatred does. Hatred blames the victim. Hatred attacks those who rise up against oppression or those who are in solidarity with them. 
perhaps viewed as traitors against their own class or race or sex or pick whatever other differential you want. And so Lord is telling her fellow white feminists, she's a black lesbian feminist in this case, that they're really getting anger wrong when viewing uh, people of color's anger as something that's the real problem. Instead of looking where the real problem is, and identifying that and working against it. And she's saying, you can handle anger. As a matter of fact, it's very important that we learn how to be angry with each other and maintain a proper perspective. So this distinction between anger and hatred can be an essential part of that. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.